When you are teaching or investing in someone, and maybe you're specifically teaching them a trade or a skill or anything of the sort, for parents in the room, when your child finally gets how to tie their shoes, was it like, oh, well, okay, good job, I've been doing that for, you know, 30 years, or was it exciting? Parents in the room, when you are, you know, hopefully your kid's going to start crawling and then walking, when they finally take those first steps, what's it like in your household when that happens? Isn't it exciting to watch them get it? Like, oh, now I can tie my shoe. I, I struggled for so long, but then I got it, and I still can tie my shoe. Or maybe you're not a parent in the room, but you're a teacher. I know we have some teachers in the room. What about some students that you have been pouring into? Whatever the subject is, and when they finally get it, it's like, oh, this is why I do what I do. The other week, um, we began our, our student ministry here at Citizens. And cards on the table, it was a lot of fun. And our plan was, because we had to, you know, we kind of had to shift a little bit. The pizza came. It was supposed to be there at 6.30. Well, it showed up at like 7.13. Um, and we had to shift a little bit because we were going to make the first time really memorable for the students, okay? And, and here's what we were going to do with, with this night. So there were some baby birds in a nest that had recently passed away. And I thought, how fun would it be and memorable if we had a funeral for these baby birds? Well, long story short, we didn't end up doing that. This is why I'm a pastor, not a youth pastor, but I was like, hey, this will be fun for the students. <laughs> so we shifted a little bit because they weren't completely dead yet, and I wasn't sure, like, what to, I know, true story, true story in here, I'm sorry. We didn't do it, and we washed our hands after we kind of saw the nest. Um, but what we did instead was play a game that I thought, there's no way that they're going to know how to play this. Because there's a game called Throw Throw Burrito. Have you ever played Throw Throw Burrito? Yeah, right, right on. It's a game that you have to kind of like, okay, let's start slow, and then you'll get it. And I was like, man, this game involves throwing these little soft burritos at one another when you get those, those cards. And I'm like, man, they're just, it's going to go crazy. Like, they're going to grab the burrito every time just to throw it at each other. But they actually got it. And I felt like such a proud parent when we could play a fast round. I, I was kind of sad that we weren't burying these baby birds, which we will, by the way. We w they're still in the nest. Um, but they got it. And I thought, oh, this is why we do what we do, because this is fun. And they actually understand the rules. And so wherever you find yourself in here this morning, you can kind of, you know, understand that, that sense of achievement. That, man, someone is getting something that I have been teaching them. And this week, as we continue in our study through the book of Acts, we've been in Acts for a while now. We finally hit double digit when it comes to the chapters. So we are in chapter 10 this morning, finishing chapter 10. And as we enter into this story, I, I share those stories about bird funerals and, and throw-throw burrito and tying shoes and, and all that mess that you're like, what does this have to do with anything? Because in Acts chapter 10, specifically at the end, we're going to read the words of Peter, and we're going to see that Peter is finally starting to get it. You see, the mission of God has come before Acts chapter 10. In fact, the mission of God has been playing out before we get to the book of Acts. We see the fulfillment of the mission of God in Jesus Christ as he comes and fulfills what the kingdom has been teaching, as he comes and fulfills the law and prophets. We've seen the mission of God. But as God uses men and women to fulfill his mission as Jesus ascends, there are some hurdles. 
There are some things that the early church had to get over, that the early church had to work through. And Peter, while he is the leader of the early church, we, we see some hurdles in his own life. Mainly, does this gospel actually go to Gentiles? Does this gospel actually go to those who we in our heritage have deemed half-breeds? You see, the, the Jewish people would call the, the Gentile people dogs. So there are some hurdles in the early church. And in Acts chapter 10, Peter begins to get it. Do you remember last week as we, we began Acts chapter 10 and we saw the vision of Peter and the vision of this man named Cornelius? So we have this vision of Peter, the Jewish man, the Jewish leader, and we have this vision of Cornelius, a Roman Gentile centurion. They both have visions, and basically Cornelius' vision says, go find Peter. And Peter's vision is this, this, this sheet coming down, this four-cornered sheet with all different kinds of animals. As the Lord tells him, get up, kill, and eat. And Peter's like, well, I, I've never eaten pig. I'm not doing that. And the Lord responds to Peter and says, what I have deemed pure, don't you dare deem impure. And so both of these men are having these visions. And while Cornelius' servants are coming to find Peter, Peter is trying to figure out, what did this mean? And then he heard a knock at the door, right? He heard a knock at the door, and Cornelius' servants had found Peter and said, hey, come with us. Cornelius has sent you or sent us to you for you to come back with us and peter says okay we're going and then we pick it up here acts chapter 10 verse 34 this is what happens next it'll be on the screen and you can flip there turn there and if you don't have a bible we have free bibles in the lobby for you verse 34 peter began to speak and so he's speaking to cornelius and his household his close friends peter began to speak now i truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. So as we start here, just these first two verses, Peter begins to get it. A light is coming on, and Peter knew this. Peter was the wretched man that was saved by the Lord. But nevertheless, this hasn't traveled this far to the world yet. And Peter begins to get it, and this is really a, a spiritual softball, if you will. Because Cornelius in verse 33 basically says, share with us whatever the Lord has told you. That's a spiritual softball. Cornelius did not ask about justification through faith specifically. Cornelius did not, and we say this all the time, Cornelius did not say, well, I've read about Noah, where's the ark? He says, hey, just sit down and tell me and everybody around me what the Lord has told you. And so Peter begins, and he begins with two distinct realities that will help break down the rest of the passage today. And the two realities is this. Number one, God shows no favoritism. God shows no favoritism. For a Jew to say this, especially to a Gentile audience, was monumental. Was there special revelation given to the Israelites through history? Yes. Was there a people group that the God, Yahweh, who we just sang to and sang about, would call out and say, you are my people, my specific people called for a purpose yes but as jesus comes onto the scene and just as we saw last week as jesus comes onto the scene and his good news of the gospel bursts forth we see the newness that god is ushering in that now it is not a specific people group and the lord would actually say it like this don't deem anything impure that i have deemed pure you see your customs and laws have extended to people Peter, 
And you are deeming these people dogs. You are deeming these people dirty, half-breeds. And that is not the case. Do not deem impure what I have deemed pure. God shows no favoritism. Do you show favoritism? I mean, that's kind of the question we were looking at last week. Now, I understand favoritism. I grew up with three sisters. So I was obviously the favorite being the only boy. That was obvious. And then I became a pastor, and it was like, man, I mean, like even more uh, feather in my hat. But I was the favorite growing up. I'm just making sure my mom's listening. (laughs) Aren't you glad this morning? Because no, that's not true, okay? She loves us all equal. But aren't you glad this morning that the Lord doesn't show favoritism? Aren't you glad this morning that the Lord saw you and that the Lord chose you? And aren't you glad that he operates differently than any other agent of judgment in this world? There's a lot of favoritism in this world. And you can think through and say, hey, I have my favorite this, I have my favorite that. But the Lord, as Peter is speaking through the Spirit, the first distinction of our God is that he shows no favoritism. He has made a way for all people to come to know him despite your race, despite your gender, despite your status, despite your goodness, and anything else in life. And we say this a lot, that because of Jesus, and because he shows no favoritism, there is nothing to prove and there is no one to impress. Peter is speaking to a culturally rejected people group. And I love that he starts this way, that God doesn't show favoritism. So what does God do? Instead, he does what? Verse 35. The second thing that we see here as we dive into this passage is that God only, not only shows no favoritism, but God accepts those from all nations who do what is right and fear him. He accepts those from all nations who does what's right and fears him. Now, here's what this doesn't mean. This isn't work-based. This does not mean that God loves the person who does enough stuff to conjure up his love. This does not mean that your church attendance, your giving, your your, your social work, whatever, all the good things and, and honestly the beneficial things in your life. It does not mean that those things stir up for God to love you more than he loves someone else. In this verse, to do what is right is to love his law and to love his statutes. And so the question for us this morning is not, do you do what is right? The question here is, do you love the Lord? When we love the Lord, we will walk in his commands. Do you love the Lord this morning? The second thing that this verse does not do, as Peter dives into this, is that all religions are basically the same. When it says that all nations, that does not mean that we are all staring at the same apple And we're just looking at it from different directions. No, what this means is that all nations represent the inclusion of any person who would call on Jesus to be saved. To do what is right, to walk in his statutes, and to fear him, is to understand that Jesus is the one to save you. Have you done that? Have you called out to Jesus in your life? We could say it like this, and I hope that this is an encouragement to you. It'll be on the screen. That Jesus is faithful to hear anyone who recognizes his love and calls out to be saved. For God to show no favoritism, but to pour out his love on all nations, on those who do right and fear him, this is what it's saying. Is that the God of the universe is faithful to hear anyone who recognizes his love and calls out 
to be saved. Verse 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we are faithful to call out, he is faithful to respond. And Peter is beginning this message to Cornelius and his entire household, and he's basically saying, because of Jesus, you have a chance. In a world that said the Gentiles had no chance because they were dirty, because they were half-breeds. In a world that rejected them, Peter is beginning his sermon and saying, you have a chance, Gentiles, and you have the same chance I do. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but I think the question needs to be raised again. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever felt like the world looks at you and says, you are dirty? You are the rejected. You are less than because of things. Do you ever have that temptation that is not from God to think these things are true about yourself? That you are not good enough. That God could never use you. That God could never love you until you wash your hands and clean yourself up a little bit. That you'll never be whole until you're married. You'll never be successful until you have children. Do we buy into those lies that the culture sometimes spouts into our head? You see, Peter is standing up before the people that have heard these things. And he's saying, no, 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 no. What I have learned and what I have seen, Peter's getting it, is that the Lord shows no favoritism. And he accepts all those who call on his name. Guys, it's good news this morning that you and I have a chance. If we had no chance to come into a right relationship with God, and God really just showed favoritism, what are we doing here? I mean, I was walking into Harris Teeter this morning thinking about, like, how nice this morning is. And I'm like, man, I'm excited to go to church, but it'd be kind of nice to be fishing on a lake right now. Maybe be on a golf course, you know? And if we have no chance, you should have booked the tea time. You should have gone fishing today because it's beautiful. But if we have a chance, then everything changes. And that is what Peter is saying here. Peter is saying, I am not wasting your time with my opinions. This is what God has shown me. And I was sent to speak to you. Which immediately leads to the question of, if we have a chance, how? You're saying there's a chance, but how? And I'm so glad you're asked because Peter tells us. Let's look back down at it, verse 36. He sent the message to the Israelites. So Peter is saying, this is what happened. This is how you can be saved. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. And you know that the events that took place throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything he did in both the Judean countryside and in Jerusalem, and yet, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. Verse 40, God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all people, 
but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, he commanded us to preach to all people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. And then verse 43, all of the prophets testify about him. And through his name, through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. Long story short, Peter is saying that it's because of Jesus that we can have a right relationship with God. What is your chance? Jesus is your chance. How do we have that chance? Jesus is why we have that chance. But if you're taking notes this morning, there are four things that I think we would do well to understand in this passage as we understand what Peter is really saying to his Gentile audience. You see, there are four things about the Christ in this passage that not only the early church believed, but they taught. You see, tradition is important as it comes to church history. What has the church always believed about Jesus? Well, a lot of things. But there are some really key important things when it comes to our faith. And so we're going to spend a few moments seeking and studying the scriptures that point to this traditional truth of who Jesus is Some were written, we believe, before Acts, and some were written after. But here are the four things that we see, and we will break them down one by one. But the four things are this, that number one, Jesus was sent, verse 36. Number two, Jesus was anointed, verse 38. Number three, Jesus was raised, verse 40. And number four, Jesus was commanding, verse 42. The first one that we see here in verse 36 is that he was sent. If you're taking notes this morning, write down, he was was sent. Peter tells us in verse 36, he sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is the Lord of all. As we begin to unpack what the good news of the gospel is and the ministry of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we cannot gloss over the reality that it begins with the good news that Jesus was sent. Have you ever done anything That you did just because you had to? Have you ever had something done for you that someone did just because they felt like they had to? That's a crummy feeling. Like, there's something, you know, in in our household that my wife, Emily, who was was at work today, she's working in the ER. So it it, it was last week, Healthcare Appreciation Week, but we'll continue that to this week. Shout out to her. There's an unwritten rule in our house that she likes the bed made. And I hate making the bed. Amen. Amen. And it's so much harder to make the bed when I don't really want to do it, but I feel like I have to. I'm like throwing the pillows and like, you know, she pulls everything tightly to make sure that it's good. And I'm just, it's awful. You know that feeling of having to do something just because you have to. Or if someone came to you and was like, yeah, I'm I'm picking up food. I mean, do you want anything? And you feel the need to be like, no, I'm good. And when you do say, yeah, I'll take something, they're like, okay, just, just text me your order. Maybe that's just me once again with Emily. I don't know. But we know that feeling. Doing something out of obligation is not as fun as doing something willingly and because you would love to do it. And this is the case when it comes to Jesus. He did not come because he owed us something. He did not come 
out of this, well, I guess I will. He did not come because plan A screwed up and plan B was a backup plan. He was not plan B. He was plan A. When it comes to Jesus, he was sent and he was sent willingly. John 1 verse 14, it'll be on the screen, says this. This is what the early church believes about Jesus. The word, the eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. He set up shop with us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus was sent and he came willingly. Peter begins here. Peter begins his message to the Gentiles here. And you need to hear this true because guys, guess what? The good news of the gospel does not begin with, you're a sinner. Get it together. The gospel begins with, God created, and it was good. The gospel begins with, for God so loved the world that he would send his son. The gospel message does not begin with, oh gosh, we're screwed up, let's figure it out. In the beginning, God created. And what did he say about creation? It was good. Now, yeah, the gospel gets to, you're a sinner in need of a savior, amen? But it does not begin there. And so Peter begins with, hey, you need to realize that the Lord of the universe, so that you would have a chance to come into a relationship with him, he made the first step towards you. Gentiles, there's nothing you've done to, to earn this. He, the God of Israel, has stepped in, and he has made his way towards you scripture says that it's god's kindness that leads us to repentance he's not coming to you heavy-handed he's coming to you with a gentle heart it's god's kindness that leads us to repentance it's not the message that you are a screw-up you need to get it together or one day you will stand before him the message is that god is gentle in spirit he unites and he sympathizes with the lowly he walked and dwelt among the sinner, not because he had to, but because this is the heart of God. Jesus was sent to us, and this is not just for Christmas. You know, we get tied up on that, right? Emmanuel, God with us, and we see the baby who was lying in a manger, and we sometimes leave that theology in December, and we forget, man, I only have a way, and I only have a chance because the Lord willingly came to this earth. So number one, he was sent. Number two, Peter says, is that he was anointed. Verse 38, look back down at it. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And how he went about doing good and healing all those who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. Jesus was anointed. Now this anointing of Jesus must not be read as if Jesus himself was not God. Because Peter just told us in verse 36 that while he was sent, the message that was proclaimed showed that Jesus was the Lord of all. If you were Lord of all, you were not created. And Jesus himself was God. However, the anointing that we see in Jesus in his baptism and the spirit um, descending upon him like a dove, what that does is not say this man was created and now Jesus has authority. What it rather does is confirm the authority that Jesus already had. What the anointing of Jesus does is show his divine messianic status 
that this God-man who has come to earth is not just a teacher, is not just a prophet, but he is the Lord himself. Philippians 2 says this, Paul, who we saw in chapter 8 and we'll get to shortly in the book of Acts, this is what he came, the conclusion that he came to by the Spirit on Jesus. Philippians 2, verse 5 through 7, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, speaking of Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. What Paul is saying in the book of Philippians is that, yes, Jesus was 100% man, but he was also 100% God. And those divine attributes in which the anointing proved, he laid those aside and he took on a body that was embarrassing. The Lord of all took on a body that could bleed. A body that got tired. A body that got hungry. You know how embarrassing that is? To take on that kind of flesh when you're the supreme ruler of all? Yet the Lord was anointed, and he had to take on this body. He had to have flesh that could bleed, because this God-man who was anointed would be what? As we continue through the good news of the gospel, he would be the one that pays the price for you. You see, the good news of the gospel does begin with, hey, you were created for more, and you were created good in the beginning. But then it continues that, hey, but sin has entered in. And you and I are more wicked at our core than we could ever understand. And we need a Savior. Only sinners need a Savior. And this message steps in and says, the one who was anointed, he steps in as a sacrifice for you. Who can satisfy God? Can mere man satisfy God? Hebrews would tell us, does the blood of, of goats and bulls, does that, does that really work? We had a chance because the anointed one, who was God, took our place. And so Peter is saying, not only was he sent, he was anointed. He has authority. His teachings are true. Number three, we see in verse 39 through 41 that not only was Jesus sent and not only was he anointed, but he was raised. You see... As we talk through the message of the gospel and we see the God-man took on the cross and took on our sacrifice, if he stays on the cross, then we are to be pitied more than anyone. Verse 39 through 41, look back down at it, says this. This is what Peter testifies about the Lord. We are witnesses of everything that he did in both Judean country and in Jerusalem. And yet the people killed him by hanging him on a tree. The God-man went on a tree but God raised up this man on the third day and caused him to be seen. Not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses. And when he rose, he ate and drank with us. How do we know that Jesus was God? Because he rose over the power of death. You see, the resurrection is the hinge of our faith, is it not? It is the linchpin that if you pull it away, everything else crumbles. The resurrection is what everything hangs on. And this is what it comes down to. Did Jesus actually raise from the dead? For you to have a chance, Cornelius, for you to have a chance, household, 
For you to have a chance, citizens' church, Jesus must have raised from the dead. Because if he did not raise from the dead, if he did not come back to life, then we are still dead in our sins. This is what the early church confessed, 1 Corinthians 15. This is what Paul's conclusion was. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain, and so is your faith. You should be on the golf course, you should be fishing this morning. If Christ did not raise, then all of this is in vain. If Christ did not raise, Peter's words are foolish. The words that Peter is speaking to Cornelius is stupid, it's a waste of time. But he did raise church. And because he was sent, and because he was God, and because he proved that he was God, rising over death, hell, and the grave, you and I have a chance to be saved. And if Jesus can rise over and raise up the dead, can raise up our faith, then the fourth and last thing that we see here is that he is commanding, he has all authority. All of this, sent, anointed, raised from the dead, all of these three truths lead us to this one. Verse 42, look back down at it. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. What Peter ends with here is that this man has complete authority. This man, in his divine messianic ship, gets to tell you what to do and not the other way around. He has the authority to command your life. And that's good news because he knows better than we do, amen? The one who has authority to wake you up in the morning has the same authority to commission you out to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family members. And that's good news because his plan is better. And Peter is saying, after he rose, he told us, he told us to go to all nations. He commanded that we may teach everything that he taught us and baptize these folks, Israelites and Gentiles, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In fact, didn't Acts begin this way? Our very first week together in the book of Acts, we read this in verse 8. But you will receive power. These are the last words of Jesus before he leaves. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses. Not if you want to. Not if you feel like it. Not if you got everything together. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus has the authority to command his followers to be on mission. And folks, this is not because God loves to keep us busy. The Lord is not a substitute teacher following this sheet of paper that just says, hey, color for two hours and, and burn this time. That's not who the Lord is. He's not trying to make you a busybody. And he's just making you do clerical work. He's not commanding you because he wants you to be busy. He is commanding you because he is a God who uses people to take his message to more of his people. 
He uses people like you and like me to take his message to more of his people. You see, Peter not only begins with the good news, but he ends with the good news. The last verse told us that everyone who believes in his message and his name can be forgiven and saved. Do you need that saving grace today? To you, is Jesus just a really good moral teacher? Man, everything that he taught about love, I can really get behind that. Man, he fed people that didn't have food? That's so awesome. And it is. But is Jesus merely a good moral teacher or a good prophet to you? Or is Jesus the one who was sent, the one who was anointed, the one who was raised from the dead, and is he the God of the universe who has authority to come into your life? Does he have the authority to take the first step towards you? And do you need that this morning? Do you need someone who has ways that are better than your ways? Do you need someone who has a plan that is better than your plan? And do you need someone to shut up the lies that says, there are favorites, you are not one of them, you are rejected, you were lost until. Do you need someone to shut those mouths? Is this a new message to you? You see, in this moment, I pray that you were able to have a Holy Spirit moment like Cornelius and the Gentiles are about to have. You see, I pray in this moment that if you are in here this morning and you do not know the Lord of the universe, you do not know Jesus intimately and personally, that the Holy Spirit would just wreck your life in the best way. That the Spirit would do something that only the Spirit could. Because as Peter lands the plane in telling the Gentiles this, this history and this good news of who Jesus is, something miraculous happens. Let's look back down at it as we close chapter 10. While Peter was still speaking these words, so nothing's even ended yet. The Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. And then Peter responded. And man, this is, this is I, I love this from Peter. Don't miss it. Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized? Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay with him for a few days. Peter is saying, we are witnesses of something miraculous here. It's been titled the Gentile Pentecost. Because the same thing that happened to the Jews back in Acts chapter 2 has just happened to the Gentiles. What do we see? The Spirit being poured out, tongues being spoken, and then they're baptized in water. And Peter basically says, who's going to say, don't fill up the tub? I mean, I'm not even done speaking yet. And the Spirit has just poured out on them. And we know what this looks like because we witnessed it. And now even the Gentiles, they're getting in on this. And Peter says, hey, who's going to stop them from being baptized? So he commands them, get in the water. And there's nothing special about water. We know that. When we are baptized, we are not saying that you must be baptized so that you will confirm your faith. 
or so that you will be affirmed in the, the book of life. That's not what baptism is. But it is a symbol, and it is a picture that as I go into the water, the deadness of my sins is going into the water, and I am raised to new life in Christ. And so Peter is saying, be baptized so that we can see that truly not only has the Spirit come, but you are being raised to new life in Christ. Sermon in a sentence this morning. The gospel message has and always will save sinners. It's a simple reminder this morning. You see, what happens in Acts chapter 10 is going to spark something in the rest of the book. The gospel message, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter what you believe are your good works in life, no matter what those things are, the good news of the gospel has and always will save sinners. It is the news in which we are reconciled to God, and Peter is saying, come under this. Believe in this. And when they do, they are baptized. This same gospel that saved the Gentiles can do the same for you. And just as this is going to spark a movement into the entire Gentile community, you being saved, you being baptized, could spark a movement in your family, could spark a movement in your job, could spark a movement with your classmates and your friends. What would happen if they saw you come under the authority of Jesus? What would happen if you invited them to say, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life? And maybe you haven't been baptized yet. Maybe you're a new follower of Jesus. Or maybe this is something that you've been following for a while, but you haven't really been baptized yet. What would happen? I mean, what would happen if you were baptized here at Citizens and you invited your friends to come see it? What would spark? How would God use that in their minds and in their hearts to see, man, maybe, maybe I need something like that? All of us in here, all of us in here, either have a story of who we were before Jesus and what Jesus has done in our life since. Is that true of you? All of us can be a part of that story. Have you come under it yet? You see, Peter is speaking the gospel to the Gentiles this morning. And the same message that Peter spoke, the Spirit speaks to us. That the Lord was sent. That the Lord was the God-man, the anointed one. The one who could go to the cross. That the Lord was not just the one who was on the cross, but he is the one who rose over death, hell, and the grave. And because of all those three things, he has the authority to tell us what to do. He has the authority to say, if you need life, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not exclusive, it's inclusive. That says all of you can get in on this. And if that's you this morning as I stand in the back and as we sing one more song, I would love to pray with you. Last week, we had a, a girl come back there and say, hey, I need this. Last week, in this building, we had someone saved. And Lord willing, we'll be baptizing soon. Do you need that? I can't wait for you to hear her story. 
of what the Spirit was doing in her heart. Do you need that this morning? Is that you? If it is, I I would love to pray with you. I would love to encourage you. And as we sing together, we remember the God who makes a way. A way when we had no way and a God who is still doing something. Amen?